Good morning. It's great to see all of you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 46. We're going to be digging in there this morning. I've only been truly terrified uh, a few times in my life, like really, truly scared. Uh, One of those, I was five years old, and my neighbor took me to the Texas State Fair and sent me into the haunted house by myself. Um, Terrifying. You don't send five-year-olds in. To his credit, you know, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. He didn't have kids. He didn't know better. But he didn't even go in with me. He just sent me in there. It was like, have fun. So that terrified me. Uh, Several years later who would later become my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, uh, almost drove a van full of us off a cliff. Um, She was the only one of us who was old enough to drive, and so we're all packed in there, so you can imagine how distracting that was. And somewhere, as we're literally driving towards a cliff, the car power goes out, and her response was to basically scream and throw her hands up in the air. Terrified me. Absolutely terrified. We're all like, hit the brakes, pull the emergency, something. But the time that I was the most frightened... The most scared, absolutely bar none, no question about it, was when we lost our son Jude for a while at the Dallas Arboretum. And so we were in Dallas, we were visiting some friends, and the Dallas Arboretum is basically this big, gorgeous garden, but it's got water everywhere, which is apparent, kind of freaks you out. And so Jude was two at the time, and, uh, and we turned around, and, and suddenly he wasn't there. It was like kind of, that happens. In fact, he had run off with some of the other kids. We saw him go down that direction, and then the dad who was with them was like, hey, has anybody seen Jude? And we thought, well, I thought he was with you. Now, as a parent, you've got that inner clock, and it gives you like five to ten seconds where you're really not all that concerned because, you know, let's face it, we lose our kids all the time. You're at the grocery store, you turn around, they're gone, and it's like, okay, five to ten seconds. You kind of like look down this aisle. Nope, don't see them. You look down that aisle. There they are. It happens all the time. Dirty little secret. You lose your kids constantly. It happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Five to ten second rule, okay? And you're really not concerned at all. There's nothing. Like You're just like, whatever, he's right there. But that five to ten seconds turned into 30 seconds, which turned into a minute, Turned into five minutes, which turned into ten minutes, and by this point, we're we're pretty much freaking out, and and they've actually like locked the whole place down, this whole section that we were in. There's security running around with walkie-talkies. There's a police officer talking to us, trying to figure out where we might have seen him, and we're just running all over the place, absolutely terrified. And I, I remember this one moment as I, I Carrie and I, our paths cross because we're both running in different directions, just calling out his name, trying to find him, and we run past each other. And our eyes meet for just this one moment. And in that one sickening moment, it's like I saw in her face, my own thoughts was just like, could this really be happening right now? I mean, could the unimaginable actually be happening to us right now? And just begging God, just bring me back my little boy. I don't want to find him in a pond. I don't want somebody who's walked off with him. I just, just bring me back my little boy and just feeling utterly helpless in that moment has a happy ending. Turns out he had wandered off as kids do. Kids don't follow paths, in case you're wondering. So there was like this nice, neat path, the direction we were going. And he saw through this hedge, this large hedge over here, some other kids playing. And so as best we can tell, he he literally like crawled through it to get over there to them. Now, when I walk up to the hedge, I see hedge. But if you're this tall, you could look kind of underneath it and see kids over there. So we found him and all was well. But that moment... Man, 10 minutes, 10 plus minutes in losing your kid world, like as a parent, that is an eternity. It's terrifying. And I felt completely helpless. Like this was beyond anything that I could tr- control. I couldn't fix this. I was out of my depth. It was, it was over my head. I couldn't handle this. I couldn't make it go away. And I just was begging and asking God to do something about it. 
I think all of us, we've experienced moments like that, haven't we? All of us have experienced, maybe it's a decision that you have to make. Maybe it's something, a, a relationship that you're wrestling with. Maybe it's, it's a problem in your life. Maybe it's a season that you've encountered where you feel helpless, where you feel like you can't control it. It's beyond your ability to do anything about it. No matter how competent you feel you are, no matter how hard you try to fix it, like you can't f- solve this problem. And the question is, what do we do when life throws at us more than what we can handle? And if God is supposed to be present in our lives and he has this power, then how do we tap into that power? How do we, how do we become aware of God's presence and tap into this power that sustains us and strengthens us and gives us hope for tomorrow? Because all of us have those days, all of us have those moments, all of us have those seasons where we don't know what to do. And there's nothing that we can do. It's out of our control. It's more than we can handle. So what do we do about that? And that's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning, and that's where we're headed so if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Psalm 46. And I want us just to look at the first few verses to start with. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I'll stop there for just a moment. Because the first thing that the psalmist wants us to understand before anything else is that no matter what goes on in your life, God is present. He's there. He's not far off. He's not distant. He didn't make you. And then he kind of, kind of stepped back. He's not unengaged. He's not, you know, an absentee father. He's not a deadbeat dad. He's not unfeeling or uncaring. No, God is right there with us. He says he is present. He is a very present help in trouble. God is there. And that might seem obvious to a lot of us. I mean, we're in church after all. Of course, God is here. But how many of us are really aware of God's presence 24-7? I mean, any of us probably not. Nobody's really aware of God's presence like that. You know, it's kind of like how your brain has this ability to filter out, uh, like, stimuli, right? So you're not consciously aware of every part of your body at any given time. I mean, that would be too much. It would overwhelm you. You would shut down. You're not aware of anything uh, all the time, right? And so, like, you're not thinking about how your right foot feels until I just said, how does your right foot feel? And you're like, oh, yeah, I've got this right foot. Yeah, well, it's okay. Thanks. See, don't you feel better? See, in the same way that our brains encounter different situations in different parts of life, and it's filtering through, and it's thinking about, okay, what is really relevant for this situation, for this decision, for this problem, for this moment? And oftentimes, God simply doesn't make the cut. And so we get wrapped up in the busyness, the mundane, the routine. We do all these things, and there's no place left for God in the middle of that. And so what we have to do is we have to create new patterns, New rhythms. We have to create reminders for us throughout our day to remind us to be aware of God's presence. This is one of the reasons that we come to Sunday, uh, to church on Sundays. It's not because we're trying to pack a church. It's not because we need high church attendance. It's because when we come on a Sunday morning, hopefully in this moment, you are being reminded of God's presence. And we have to hit the reset button in our brains. So we go, okay, yeah, God exists. I'm reminded of that. That's one of the reasons that we have small groups. That you need someone in your life, someone to hold you accountable. And as you walk through life to be reminding you now and again, hey, are you thinking about God? Are you aware that he's intimately involved in this situation? Are you sensing his presence? We need those people to remind us. It's why we, we read our Bibles throughout the week, not just on Sundays. It's reminding us of God's presence. It's why we pray. Right? We need these daily reminders. We need these new rhythms involved in our life in order to remind us that God is actually there. And here's what happens when you start to do that. This is what happens. It's really cool. You will begin to experience what they call the frequency illusion. 
It's, it's more commonly understood as the blue car syndrome. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is where if you buy, buy a blue car and then you go out driving, you suddenly you start noticing blue cars everywhere. And you're, you, maybe you start listening to a new band. You really get into this one band that you're listening to. And, uh, and what you start to notice is that, man, you hear them on the radio, in the grocery store, in the restaurant, in the, the, uh, you know, in the elevator. Probably not the best band if that's where you're hearing them. But that's, that's beside the point, all right? But see, it's not that the world suddenly woke up and everybody said, let's go buy a blue car. Or everybody started saying, let's listen to that band. No, as you engage with it, suddenly you become more aware of it. You just weren't paying attention. And it's the same with God. That as we build in these new rhythms, these new patterns in our lives, that we read our Bibles, that we come to church on Sunday morning, that we are in a small group and people are speaking about God into our lives, that suddenly we become more aware of God in the routine, in the mundane, in the busyness. You guys tracking with me? It's not that God suddenly shows up someplace that he wasn't. It's that suddenly we're paying attention. We've learned how to look for him. I love what uh, the psalmist uh, David, he says, Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He says, wherever you go, wherever you run, whatever happens in your life, God is there. It's not that God suddenly decided to show up where he wasn't before. It's that now you're paying attention. Now we're aware. Now, sometimes though, sometimes though, we need a little more than that. Sometimes we need something to wake us up to kind of like jar us out of that. And oftentimes what God uses, what God allows in our life to get our attention is pain, is calamity, is tragedy, is moments of helplessness. C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. And this is what the psalmist is describing right here in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though what? Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, he's basically describing the worst-case scenario right here. He's describing like the worst possible chain of events. The earth itself is literally crumbling away. This is the end of the world. Creation is coming undone. It doesn't get much worse than this. You put everything else into perspective that the world is gone. None of your other problems really matter. He says, in the worst case scenario, God is there. So ask yourself for a moment, what is your worst case scenario? Do you know what your worst case scenario is? Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you try not to think about it too much. What is your worst case scenario? Losing your child, like I almost did. Maybe losing a spouse. Maybe cancer, failure in your life's pursuit. Maybe it's getting old, mental illness, Alzheimer's, dreading all of that. That's your worst case scenario. That's what you fear the most. And what Psalm 46 says right here is that God is in that with you. God is present. God is there. And because he's there, therefore we will not fear like, we don't have to be afraid. Whatever your worst-case scenario is, you can't imagine something worse than what God can handle. God is there. God is present in that with you, and therefore we will not fear. It doesn't mean that we're not scared. It doesn't mean that we don't have moments that we're scared. It means that the fear that we experience from whatever it is, whatever that situation is where we feel helpless, where we feel like it's out of our control, that that fear does not cripple us. It doesn't overwhelm us. 
So it's like when I was a kid, when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, we would drive from uh, our house to my grandparents' house for Christmas. And uh, my dad would be driving, and I'd be back in the back with the dogs and the suitcases, because that's how you did it back then. And, um, and to get there, we had to drive over literally one of the top 10 most dangerous highways in the country. It was rated number seven. Because it's super hilly and mountainous and these tight turns. And it's basically two lane with some passing lanes. But it was where all these semis would drive over. And the semis, as they'd be going through, their, their brakes would overheat, suddenly wouldn't work, and it would end very, very badly. And so we'd be driving. I have vivid remem- memories of this. We'd be driving at Christmas, at night. It's like raining, sleeting, sometimes snowing to get there. And I'm in the back going, okay, this is a little bit freaky. It's like semis like flying by you. There's one behind you, one ahead of you, and one you know, coming right at you. And then I would think, but dad's driving. It's all good. Dad's got this. Like my dad will never let anything bad happen to us. It's the same in our relationship with God because of God's presence. The fact that my dad was driving, that was calming my fears. Because of God's presence, our fears are calm. They're relieved so that we're not crippled. We're not destroyed by our fears. We can look at everything that the world throws at us. And it's not that we're not scared. I mean, I was scared in the back. I was nervous. I'm not stupid. But we're not overwhelmed by those fears because wherever God is, there is safety. There is security. There's stability. In fact, this is what the psalmist is describing in verses 4 and 5. He says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So if you go to the very beginning of your Bible, you go to Genesis, uh, you find the Garden of Eden, and it says that out of the Garden of Eden was flowing a river. And then if you skip all the way to the end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation, you find the new heavens, the new earth. God's kingdom comes to reside on earth, the new city of Jerusalem, and out of it is flowing a river. And so what the psalmist is doing here is he is equating the presence of God with this life-giving, life-sustaining river. Now think about this for a second. If you go back into the Middle Ages or back even when this is being written or before, if you were going to attack a city and you wanted to take that city over... If you're an army, you go and you're going to attack the city and, and defeat them. The first thing you do is you cut off that water supply, if it's at all possible. No water and the city dies. But what the psalmist says is that God, God is that living water. He is the water supply. And because he is present in that city, that city cannot be shaken. That city cannot be moved. No matter what army comes against it, they can't cut off that water supply. And so the very power of God, the presence of God, is this continual running, life-giving, life-sustaining river. And here's what's really cool. And we don't see this in the psalm, but when you get to the New Testament, what you find is that we are... Each one of us, the dwelling place of God. That if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in him, then you are the temple of God. God's Holy Spirit resides in you. You are, as it says here, the holy habitation of the Most High. And so in that way, just as Jesus says, I am the living water, his spirit resides in us. And so we cannot be shaken. Whatever comes at us, whatever threatens to shake us, Whatever tries to destroy us from the outside, God is present. He is within us. He is that life-giving, life-sustaining river. And so long as he's there, we're stable. 
There's peace, there's security because God always comes through. God will help her when morning dawns. In other words, no matter how dark it gets, it's always darkest before the dawn. No matter how crazy your world gets, no matter how helpless you feel, no matter how out of control your life gets, morning comes and God helps when the morning dawns. God always comes through. So um, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament is in 2 Kings. And this is uh, King Hezekiah. So King Hezekiah, he is the king of Judah. All right. So if you remember, there was the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, and they were unified under King David. You guys remember King David and then under King Solomon. But then after that, they split. Kingdom of Israel is the northern kingdom. Kingdom of Judah is the southern kingdom. So when you were taking, you know, reading your devotionals this week in Second Kings and Second Chronicles, I know you were, and you were like, why do they keep talking about Israel and Judah? Well, that's because they split. And so King Hezekiah, he is the king of the southern kingdom, and his capital city is Jerusalem. Now, at his time, the superpower of the day was this country called Assyria, and its king was Sennacherib. It's a fun word, fun name, right? Sennacherib. And so Sennacherib, he's not a peace-loving guy, okay? He's, he's a little bit aggressive, you could say. And so he decides, he gets his armies, and they start marching all over the region, and they are taking out countries left and right. They are enslaving people. They are collecting tribute, gold and silver, and they're just taking over everything. Nothing can stop them. They are this unstoppable force in the region, and they set their eyes on Judah. And so they march into Judah, and they take over all the fortified cities, and they march right up to the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Sennacherib, he's not stupid. He's a smart guy. And so he knows. I mean, just picture this for a moment. You got this kind of little city of Jerusalem, and they're, they're all hunkered in there with all their food and whatever army they've got left. And Sennacherib's out there with hundreds of thousands, this army. Now, he could, by force, just storm in and take everything. But he's not dumb. That would cost him men. That would cost him money. That would cost him arms, right? That would... That would be more trouble. So what if instead he could just create some panic within the city that would be enough that they would just open the doors and let him come on in? And so what he does, it's very smart. He gets this emissary. He gets one of these guys who works for him. And he says, hey, go down there and talk to them. And they'd think that they're going to come talk in terms, you know, negotiations for peace or whatever. But that's not the point. Now, what this guy does is he goes down there. And as he's pretending to talk to, you know, uh, King Hezekiah's representatives, he's actually shouting out so that everybody in the tower hears it. And it gets relayed to everybody in the city so that everybody hears this. And basically his message is this, just give up now. There's no hope. Your God cannot save you. Just give up now. Your God cannot save you. I love, listen to what he says here. This is part of his message. So do not listen to Hezekiah, your king. Don't listen to your king when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his hand out of the land, hand of the king of Assyria? In other words, look, we've been marching all over this region and every country we come to, guess what? They've got a God. And have any of them stopped us yet? No. So why do you think your God will be any different? Don't be deceived. Don't listen to your king who says, God's going to come and save you. There's no gods who have stopped us yet. Yours is no different. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Hena, and Iva? By the way, I have no idea how to pronounce those. They, they teach you in seminary. When you don't know, just say it boldly. So that was my best attempt. Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? You've got to be kidding me. Don't even listen to your king. 
Don't be deceived. Don't be stupid. No God has saved anyone yet from my hand. So just give up now. Your God cannot and will not save you. And so Jerusalem is in a bit of a panic, as you can imagine. And Hezekiah prays to God. And God gives this answer through Isaiah. And this is, um, understand, this is God speaking to Sennacherib. Okay, he's speaking to the king of Assyria. And look at what he says. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Let me tell you, against the Holy One of Israel's. In other words, you just messed with the wrong God. And then he goes on. I won't read all these verses, but he basically gives like this account of everything that Sennacherib has done. And he does it like totally mocking him. He's like, hey, you think you've, you've conquered that country and you took these people as slaves and you did this and you did that. And you think you're hot stuff. Well, let me tell you, I've got your number. Let me tell you what you really are. Okay. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I own you. And I will turn you back on the way by which you came. God says, you just ticked off the wrong deity, my friend. And so Hezekiah goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning, opens his window, looks outside. And most of Sennacherib's army is lying dead in the mud. God just wiped them out. And the rest of them are hightailing it back to Assyria. Moral of the story, don't mock God. Never a good idea. All right, but look, this is, this is what the psalmist is saying, and this is what we have to see here. If I go back. All the way. There we go. The psalmist is saying this. Just because you are a child of God... Just because you belong to God does not mean that the earth will never give way. It doesn't mean that the mountains are never going to tremble. It doesn't mean the sea isn't going to roar and foam. He's saying, look, just because you're a child of God doesn't mean that life always works out for you. It doesn't mean that things always go perfectly the way that you want them to. Like this was God's people, the kingdom of Israel. This was God's city. And yet Assyria marched all the way in right up to the, the gates of the city. And they were this close to knocking them out. There was, there was no other army coming to save them. There was nothing they could do from the inside. God showed up or nothing. It doesn't mean just because you're the child of God that nothing bad ever happens in your life. And I know I keep harping on this because this is one of those common terrible distortions of the gospel that we think that as long as we love God and we go to church and we give money and we do the right things, then God is going to love us. He's going to care for us and nothing bad is going to happen. And the psalmist says, look, we're not going to fear when this happens, when the earth gives way, when your worst case scenario happens in your life, when you feel helpless, not that you'll never feel helpless, not that nothing ever goes wrong, but when that happens, God is there to pick up the pieces See, listen, this so-called gospel that Joel Olstein and these other people are selling, let me tell you something. They are selling a God who is basically Santa Claus. He's this jolly old elf, and he's got a list of who's being naughty and who's being nice. And if you are naughty, you're going to get coal. And if you're nice enough, then you're going to get good things. And so if you're not getting what you wish for, if you're not getting everything that you hoped in life, then you're not being good enough. And you need to try harder. You need to give more money, probably to them. But the God of the Bible, the God who is, is a God who, even though, hear me, even though we are never good enough, 
He loves us just the same. He loves us just the same. And so God, he's always present. He is in our midst. He always comes through and he can handle anything. He's always there. Look at what it says. I'm going to skip back through these slides. There's nothing he can't handle. Look at this. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. That should be he burns the chariots with fire. There's nothing in our world that our God can handle. Listen, um, without a doubt, without a doubt, this time in our society, in our world, like at least in my lifetime, there's never been more chaos, more uncertainty, more instability, more things to be scared of. I mean, it's crazy out there. Let's just be honest. Let's just recognize it for how it is. You turn on the news, you pay any attention at all. Our world is, is going crazy out there. All right, you got, you got ISIS, you got Iran, you got Russia, you got North Korea. I mean, just their list goes on and on. You've got, even within our own, own country, it's like people are taking crazy pills. Like there's all kinds of insanity going on out there. But let me tell you that what Psalm 46 is telling us is that God can handle all of it. There's none of, the, none of this is beyond God's control. Do you think that God can't handle ISIS? You think God can't handle a few wars? I mean, he's not like he hasn't seen it before. You think he can't handle a few renegade governments flexing their muscles? You think he can't handle people and governments and nations that thumb their nose at him and say, we're not going to have anything to do with you, God. I love it in Psalm 2. Totally teach this one sometime. Psalm 2. It starts off and it talks about these nations and these rulers. And they get together and they're all like, let's get together and let's fight against God. And we're going to throw off this, this yoke of enslavement to this God who is. And you know what God's response is? It says he laughs. He has a good laugh. Aren't you adorable? Aren't you cute? That's hilarious. Because I'm God. See, all this craziness in our world that's so overwhelming for us, and I get that. It can be. It can be scary out there. But do you really think that the God of the universe can't handle all of it? Please, please. What does it say? He utters his voice and the earth melts. He just has to say a word. He just has to whisper. And the very earth melts. It's like the kingdoms are raging. The world's getting crazy out there. And he speaks, and the ground underneath their feet is just gone. Hard to do a lot when there's no ground underneath your feet. Not very effective. One minute the nations are raging, the next minute they are gone. One minute the army is standing at your gate, the next minute is lying dead in the mud. One minute there is no hope, and the next, God happens. See, what the psalmist is saying here, in these verses right here, he's saying that God makes war against those who make war against his people. Right? He has brought desolations. He ceases wars on the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. He says, if you go to war against my people, then I'm going to go to war against you. God makes war against those who make war against his people. So whatever is threatening you, whatever you're scared of, whatever you feel like is pressing in on you, whatever is making you feel helpless, understand that God is against that. He is fighting that battle for you. He is in the midst of that 
right now. And some of you are going, well, I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't see God right here in the midst of this fighting my battles for me. Like, where, where is God right now? And here's, you rarely truly lose your place and train of thought. But that was one of those rare moments. <laughs> what was I talking about? God, right. So look, some of you right now, I'm going to have to go to the recording and like, ex, you know, like cut that whole section out so I sound better. When you got, you know, don't tell your friends. You're going to like tell them like, oh, you should hear this sermon. There's one part. Don't worry about it. I'll just take that out so you don't even have to mention that to them. Okay. Check this out. I got lost in that moment because look, this is, this is where we've all been, right? That you're, you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, this all sounds really good. But look, I don't see God in this moment right now. I don't see God present. I don't see God fighting this battle for me right now. Like, where is God right now when I need him? I'm in the midst of this. I'm in the thick of it. And see, this is where faith has to play a part. This is where faith reminds us that it is not what we see. It's what is unseen. It's the hope of what yet is to come. Which means that sometimes we have to wait until after the battle to see what God was doing. It means that sometimes we don't see what God is doing in the midst of everything. Sometimes we have to wait till afterwards that we can look back with any kind of accuracy. And even then it can be, it can be hard to tell, but we look back and we say, okay, I see now how God was moving this, how God was doing this. It's like um, football games, basketball games, coaching staff. In the midst of the game, it's craziness. It's in the heat of the moment. It's in the heat of the battle. And so they're, they're changing defenses. They're changing offenses. They're sending people in, taking people out. They're hoping that those adjustments help. But after the game, what do they do? They go back and they break down the film. They spend hours dissecting it, going over and over again, so that they can get a sense of what actually happened. And it's the same with God, that, that in the midst of that battle, in the midst of that struggle, it can be very, very difficult to see what God is doing with any kind of accuracy. There have been times in my life there have been times in my life where I have looked at the situation, what's going on, and I thought, God is clearly doing this. He's leading us in this direction. I think God's teaching us this. And it wasn't until later that I looked back and realized I completely missed it. I completely missed the point. And so if you're struggling today, if that's where you find yourself, that you're not exactly sure what God's doing in the midst of it, my encouragement is this, to give it some time. Give it some time because you may not know exactly how God is working in your life right now, how he's fighting that battle for you right now. What you do know is that God is present. God is present. He always comes through. There's nothing that he can't handle. And you know that already, I hope. I hope you know that already. I hope you've already experienced enough and you are aware enough of the blessings, the good things that he has done in your life that, that you have confidence for the future. I hope you've already made a practice of just counting your blessings, as cheesy as that sounds, just to be aware of like, oh, look how, look how God worked in this situation. Look what he did in this moment. Look at how he has blessed me and blessed our family. And that gives you confidence to say, God is not going to abandon me now. If nothing else, you should be able to look at the cross and say, God died for me. Like when I was lost, when I was a sinner, God stepped in. Jesus stepped into time and space, died for me. Why in the world would I think that he wouldn't come through now? If we, listen, if we are not able to appreciate what God's done in the past, then we will struggle to trust him in the future. If we are blind to how God has blessed us, how he cares for us, how he loves us, how he has made that evident throughout our lives, then we will struggle to trust him now or in the future. 
It's like when, when um, I had little kids, and if you with small babies, like you give them a bottle. And I remember holding my, my kid, you know, Gabriel, my son, and I'd hold this bottle. And it didn't matter how many times I'd given him the bottle. Right? I mean, day after day after day, multiple times a day, multiple times a day, multiple times a day. If I didn't give him that bottle fast enough, he freaked out. Right? They're just, you just hold it out, just out of their reach. Don't be cruel, but just out of their reach. And they're like, ah, you know, they're freaking out. Just give me the bottle. They're petrified that this time you might not give them the bottle. I wanted to be like, have I ever denied you a meal? Have I ever not come through for you? And this is how we treat God. Then we say, God, look, I know that you've been faithful. I know you've done this. I know you've saved me. I know. I've seen you in all these situations, and yet over here, I'm still not convinced that you actually love me. I know you've done all this for me. I see your faithfulness, but what about this time? What if this time is the time that you decide just to let me go? What if this is time that you don't show up, that you don't care for me? What if this time is when you kick me to the curb? But see, God is our loving, heavenly Father. It doesn't matter how sinful, how broken, how messed up we are, how much we annoy him at times. He loves us. He will never abandon us. Just like I will never abandon my kids, even though at times they annoy me and drive me crazy. I love them. I love them. God is our heavenly father. He loves us. He is not going to abandon us. He is there with us. He always comes through. We can, he can handle anything. And so when the nations rage against us, when the kingdoms totter, when the world gets crazy and people come after us, with warfare, spears, and everything else, whatever that is, whether it's people or situations, moments in life, relationships that you don't know how to handle, those helpless situations, whatever that is, God fights our battles. God makes war against those things. In fact, it says, verse 10, I love this. Verse 10, it says that God brings out his dad voice. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You guys know what the dad voice is, right? So I've been practicing my dad voice for about five years now. And um, in our house, you hear the dad voice every night about eight o'clock when my kids should be getting quiet, when they should be going to sleep, when they should be calming down. And instead, what I hear is laughter and running around and getting out of bed and doing everything that they're not supposed to do. And so what I do is I walk up and I open the door and I say, be quiet, be still. Not playtime. Go to sleep. It's the dad voice. You guys all know the dad voice. Hopefully you heard the dad voice growing up. It's good for you. All right. So this is God's dad voice. This is what God says. When the nations are raging against his people, God says, be still. That's enough. Now, I know some, some of you read this verse and you've got it like on a plaque in your kitchen and it's got like little flowers and rainbows and butterflies. Because it's like, oh, be still and know that I'm God. But that's, that's, that's true. That's not the context here. Because God isn't talking to his children. He's not using the dad voice against us. Now, this is more like when, uh, you know, I'm at the playground with my kids and like some bullies come over. Like older, bigger kids and they're messing with my kids and I have to pull out the dad voice and I get between them and I say, hey, that's enough. You leave my kids alone. You back off. That's what's happening here. The nations are raging. There are threats against God's people, and so God stands up and says, be still. That's enough. I'm drawing a line in the sand. You don't cross it. I'm God. You might have forgotten that. You may not realize who you're dealing with. Let me inform you. I am God. And by the way, I will be exalted among the nations. In other words, there's no way you're winning this fight. No chance. I'm God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. God wins. God wins. He will establish his kingdom. He will, as I said earlier, he will end all wars. And he will end all who war against his people. He will establish his kingdom right here on earth. That will be the end of death and destruction and sin and disease and heartache and heartbreak. God wins. He is the king. And we are his children. And he's always present with us. He loves us. He cares for us. And he can handle any of it. See, here's... Here's what I want to close with, all right? So if you, if you heard nothing else this morning, this is what, what I want you to hear. See, part of the problem here is that we, somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, people started spouting this nonsense about how God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Anybody ever heard that? God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's not even remotely true. Okay, seriously, that's not even close to being true. You know what the truth is? The truth is that God always gives us more than we can handle. Like if you were a child of God, if you were following Jesus, then I promise you, I guarantee you that God is going to give you more than he can handle. He never promises to give us only what we can handle. What he does promise is to never give us more than he can handle. And so if you are a child of God, I promise you, he is going to give you more than he can handle. You will be out of your depth. You will be in over your head. You will be helpless. You will not feel control because it's only then, finally, finally, that we we rely on him as God instead of in ourselves. And, And see, that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel. That we are lost in our sin in our failures and our mistakes and our regrets, all the things that we wish we could take back, the ways we've hurt other people, the way we've hurt ourselves, we are lost in that. We are out of our depth. That sin, it preys on our souls. It poisons our hearts. We are in over our heads, out of our depth. We are helpless in that. And so God declares war against that sin that has declared war against us. And Jesus steps into our world and he crushes sin and death And if he can conquer death, then there is nothing in this world, in our lives, in our hearts that God cannot handle. God always gives us more than we can handle. Look, we live in a broken world. And the brokenness of the world, it seeps into our relationships, into our lives, into our communities, into our schools, into our work. And God doesn't shelter us from that. God doesn't create this little insulated bubble and say, hey, you're safe in here. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to you. No. God calls us as his church to go into the world, to be his emissaries, to be his representatives. And if we're out in the world as we're supposed to be, then it is going to affect us. And right now, some of you are experiencing that. Some of you are in the thick of it. Some of us, you've been through it. You know it's going to come again. Some of you, this has become your life. You're living your worst case scenario. Some of us are hoping that somehow we're going to Avoid it and skirt by. But you need to know, and what Psalm 46 is telling us is that God is present. He's there. He always comes through and he can handle anything that life throws at us. Do you know that? I mean, do you know that? Do you have people in your life who are reminding you of that? Do you have someone in your life who comes alongside you and says, hey, I I know what you're going through. This is tough. This is hard. But I just want you to know that God is in the midst of it. I see how he's working and encourages you like that. 
Are you coming on Sunday mornings regularly in order to be reminded of God's presence? Listen to me. This is not an effort to boost attendance, all right? I don't give a rat's behind about attendance. If I wanted to be part of a really big church, I could. I used to be. This is not about that. This is because I care so much that God cares so much that we would come here together to be reminded, to remind one another, to sing out his praises, to be reminded that God is God. He is present. He does love us. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading Psalm 46 and others like it that remind us that God is present? Martin Luther, okay? Martin Luther, who knew a thing or two about stress in life and being overwhelmed, when the Catholic Church is hunting you, that's one of those moments. And he would say, let's go read Psalm 46, just to be reminded. Are you doing those things? Do you have those patterns in your life that lead you to be to a place where you encounter God and you tap into that power that strengthens and sustains you, that you learn how to trust him in the midst of it? Because God can handle anything. There's nothing in your world, nothing in your life, nothing in your heart that God can't handle. I'm going to close us in prayer, and, uh, and the band's going to come up and, and give us the last, uh, the last song to close out. And what I want to do real quickly, um, and this is going to be the whole prayer, is I'm just going to read through Psalm 46. And I just want you to, to be quiet, just to close your eyes. And let this be your prayer. Let this be your moment this week. It's not for the whole week, but for today at least. To remember that God is here. That he is our refuge and strength. Pray with me. He is our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen.